0: Folks, welcome. If you haven't, uh, if we haven't met, my name is Bruce Garner. I'm the senior pastor here at Cross Point, and normally I would be getting ready to open the Bible with you, but this morning you're in for a treat because as we conclude our month of missions, we're closing the, we're closing the circle on what it takes to send someone overseas. If you've been with us through the whole journey, you'll remember Andrew and Kelsey Perez. We're here three weeks ago. They're on their way to the Philippines very soon. There they will be starting churches. There they will be training pastors and future missionaries. And somebody asked me last week, what is all? how does that happen? What are the logistics of that? Well, today we close the loop because our guest today is a former missionary himself and now an associate mission director at our main mission office in Springfield, Missouri. Here's how that works for those of you who are wondering. When our missionaries are here presenting, if you ever see a missionary speaking from this platform, we intend to support them as a church family. You can look in your bulletin and see our missions fund. Every dollar of that goes beyond these walls. None of that stays here to fund the ministry here. And for the missionaries who were approved through our Baptist Bible Fellowship Missionary Office in Springfield, Missouri, where our guest, Craig Stevenson, is Associate Mission Director... We send, let's say, $80,000 month by month to be distributed to those missionaries. That clearinghouse, that office takes every penny we send and gives it directly to the missionaries. They may be the only mission organization in the world that does that. They process an enormous amount of money every year and don't take a dime from the missionaries because they receive support themselves as missionaries. So when a missionary stands here, he is not asking for your individual support. You're welcome to give it to him if you if you like to do it that way. But every dollar you give into our missions funds goes outside these walls to the field. And if it goes to a BBFI missionary, every penny we give reaches the missionary because the folks who stay behind and do the logistics, do the insurance, provide... Uh, Personnel safety services when a missionary gets in trouble, if a missionary literally is, is kidnapped or badly injured, the folks at the home office in Missouri swing into action to safely repatriate that person. They are the unsung heroes of missions because they're the back line of supply that is making sure that the troops get every dollar we send them. That's my quick and probably not entirely perfect explanation. For the vital role that Craig Stevenson and his team fulfill in the BBFI Mission Office, would you help me welcome Associate Mission Director Craig Stevenson?
1: Uh, this morning, and I tell you what, it's been a great weekend. Um, some of you uh, may know, but a lot of you may not know my connections with Bruce and Charisse, uh, but also Cecil and Lana. So Cecil and Lana Maxi. Uh, Cecil was the first pastor that I worked for uh, in America, in Odessa, Texas, back in the early 2000s as a youth pastor. And I see Cecil and Lana back there, and I just want to take a minute, because uh, I haven't ever had the opportunity to do this, and just say, Cecil, thank you for investing in me as a young pastor. Uh, Lana and Cecil both, thank you for investing in, in my wife and I and our family. Uh, you are loved and appreciated, and I just want to extend that thank you to you this morning. And it was through that process that I got to know Bruce and Sharice, and we've been friends ever since. Uh, and again, it is certainly an honor to be here with you this morning. We are going to be in the book of Acts chapter 8 this morning. Uh, if you would like to, if you have a Bible and like to turn, it's great. If not, uh, some of the verses that we're going to read this morning are going to be on the screen. Not all of them, but some of them. And, uh, but we're going to get there here in a few minutes because I want to give you an update from around the world. So I don't know, how many of you are awake this morning? All right, that was about half of you, so I hope everybody else can jump on board with this uh, here this morning and be awake because uh, I hope this morning, through the process of the message and our time together, that you will be uh, able to see what God's doing around the world through the work of your missionaries. Uh, And I tell you what it's an exciting thing okay so every year uh, our office receives reports back from the over 600 missionaries that we work with in over 80 countries Uh, as you can imagine there's a lot of logistics and a lot of things that go into that Uh, but there are a lot of uh, reports that we get back and some of those reports have to do with how many people were saved during their ministry during the previous year. Uh, How many uh, people were baptized? How many leaders in training do they have? And this morning, I want to give you a report from the Baptist Bible Fellowship as a whole because I want you to know every time you go uh, to support a missionary, you pray for a missionary, you are investing your life into the work of the gospel being taken all around the world. And that's a really exciting thing. Uh, and it's really cool to be able to stand here today and tell you uh, of the numbers that we're going to walk through here in just a second. So uh, these numbers are from 2021, right? So every year uh, in January, February, and March, we receive the reports back. Uh, we just haven't had all the reports given back to us yet for 2022. Uh, we should have those next month uh, so we can give updated numbers. But in 2021, I want you to see that we saw over 135,510 people saved. Isn't that angry? You can clap for that. That's okay. Yeah, that's good, isn't it? I hope, hope, hope that this is a blessing to your soul this morning. Uh, Not only that, but we saw 1,995 people baptized last year around the world. Um, Go on just a little bit further. We saw uh, 13,159 leaders in training. These are people that are in Bible colleges around our world training for ministry. Training to go out and plant churches, be involved in the process of evangelism, discipleship, and church planning, which is our heartbeat. And that's the the heartbeat of who we are and what we do, to see churches planted. And speaking of churches planted, last year alone, we saw 166 new churches started around the world. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? But you know what? As much as I love looking at the snapshot of one year, there's a couple of things that I love about seeing a bigger and longer timeline, right? So, so let's talk about the last 10 years, okay? Uh, the last 10 years, and, and here's the thing. As you think about uh, these numbers, yes, they're, they're big numbers, but as you think about these, I just want to reemphasize with you, every time you give to missions, and every time you pray for a missionary, and every, every time you invest in a missionary, these numbers you have a part of. And you're, you're one church That's connected to a lot of other churches around uh, the United States of America. Matter of fact, we have close to 3,000 churches in the Baptist Bible Fellowship International around the U.S. that that come to church just like this every Sunday, that that worship Jesus every Sunday, that open God's Word, and they talk about the need to take the gospel around the world every Sunday. You are one church among thousands of churches in our network. And no, we're not the only network doing the gospel work uh, of taking the gospel around the world, right? Uh, There are many other groups that are doing gospel work, and it's incredible to see what's going on. But in our network alone, you are part of something large and something big that God is doing. And I take a look at the last 10 years, and I want you to see that 1,224,819 people have been saved in the last 10 years because churches like this, individuals like you, faithfully give to missions and support missionaries. Isn't that cool? Somebody clap for that. Say amen. Something. Come on. Right? Isn't that exciting? To think about this, to think that over 1.2 million people have a relationship with Jesus Christ that didn't 10 years ago. And not only that, it's not just that they're saved and and that would be enough, right? Isn't that incredible? Wouldn't that be enough? But now, this is over 1.2 million families, right, that have new gospel witnesses within their families, Think of the communities that are represented by that 1.2 million people. Those communities that now have a new gospel witness taking the gospel to people in their community. And it's incredible to see. God's doing some great things. We we hear a lot of junk all the time about what Satan's doing. We we know what what the enemy's up to, right? It's really great to be able to set back and on a broad picture spectrum be able to say, that's what my God's doing. Isn't that cool what God's doing? Right? And I love it because as many times as we look at these numbers, we have to understand, are numbers important? No, numbers for the sake of numbers are not important. But numbers are important because each number represents an individual person who is loved by God. Huntington Beach is full of people like that. This area, and if I tried to name off towns in this area, uh, Bruce was showing me around the last couple days, I would would mess that up completely, so I'm not even going to try. But I will tell you, the LA area, Orange County, is filled with people that need to hear about Jesus Christ. But it's not just this part of the country that needs to hear about Jesus. Everyone in America needs to hear about Jesus. They need to understand that every person alive has two problems, Every person alive has a death problem and they have a sin problem and they need to understand that Jesus is the answer to both of those problems, right? And as you take the gospel here, our missionaries are taking the gospel around the world so that we can see individuals from every country around this planet hear the name of Jesus and have an opportunity to receive salvation that's provided through Jesus. I think about that and You know, not only did we see over 1.2 million people saved, but we also saw uh, 2,864 new churches started in the past 10 years. And I want you to know that this is, again, due to churches just like this, given the missions, so missionaries can go. And that's really exciting. I want you to watch this video. This will give you a good idea and a good overview of who we are and what we do around the world, and I hope you get uh, excited about this video.
2: The Baptist Bible Fellowship International is a fellowship of pastors that unite for the purpose of evangelism, discipleship, and church planning around the globe. This vision reaches all the way back to our beginnings in 1950 when we approved 19 missionaries to the countries of China, Japan, Mexico, and the Philippines. By 1960, we saw the missionary population increase to 169 missionaries in 17 countries. Currently, there are over 700 missionaries in 80 countries all around the world. Throughout the decades, the Baptist Bible Fellowship International has approved over 1,800 career missionaries to take the gospel to over 120 countries. These missionaries are focused on the mission of evangelism, discipleship, and church planning. Through their efforts, hundreds and thousands have been saved and discipled. Over 20,000 churches have been started outside of the United States of America. This is made possible through the faithful giving of our U.S. churches that has totaled over $1.1 billion churches started through the efforts of our missionaries have caught the vision and they are sending out their own people as church planning missionaries around the world. From the Mexico BBF we have families that are working among tribal ethnic groups. They have also sent missionary families to serve the Lord in Latin America, Spain, Europe, and the Middle East. The Japan Baptist Bible Fellowship have sent missionary families to Asia, Africa, Latin America, and Creative Access countries. The churches affiliated with Korea Baptist Bible Fellowship have approved missionary families to serve the Lord in Asia, Australia, Latin America, and Africa. Churches in the Philippines have collectively sent over 250 missionary families. These families are serving the Lord in Asia, Africa, the United States, Latin America, Europe, the Middle East, and Creative Access nations. Churches in Ecuador have sent missionaries to Argentina, Panama, and the United States. Missionaries from churches in Brazil have been sent to the Amazon tribes, Paraguay, Africa, and East Timor. Missionaries from Peru have been sent throughout Latin America, Asia, Spain, Morocco, the Middle East, and Israel. Missionaries from Canada have been sent to Creative Access Nations. Missionaries from churches in Europe have been sent throughout Europe, Latin America, Africa, and Southeast Asia. Missionaries from Russia have been sent to Borneo, Indonesia. Churches in Australia have sent missionaries to 25 countries in Latin America, Europe, Africa, Japan, Asia, and the islands of the Pacific. Missionaries from churches in Kenya have been sent to South Sudan and Tanzania. Missionaries from Tanzania have been sent to Mozambique. Our international force of missionaries is growing every day. The number of missionaries is approaching 450. We are sending out missionaries from everywhere to everywhere. Our challenge to pastors, churches, and missionaries of the Baptist Bible Fellowship International is to stay focused and continue in the vision of evangelism discipleship and church planning all around the world isn't that good stuff
1: that's good stuff right there yeah you can clap for that because after all isn't that the work that God has called us to let's go start churches reach people disciple them and then see them get involved in that process of sending missionaries to see more people saved, to see more churches started, to see more people have the opportunity to send more missionaries out as they are reaching people in their local towns, in their villages around the world. And it's really incredible to see what God is doing. And, and we have a front row seat to it every day. But, but I also understand that sometimes as a, as a church, it's easy to come to church and see uh, just kind of what's going on in our local church. But, and sometimes it's great to, it's always great to have missionaries, but sometimes we see missionaries and we think about a specific country. But when you broaden that out to see what's going on all around the world, it really paints an incredible picture. Last year alone, we, we, uh, through our office, we processed over $35 million that came in from churches, all of that, which uh, then was taken and given directly to our missionaries, right? So they could go and do the work that God has called them to do. But when I take the 135,510 people that were saved in 2021, and I compare that to the $35 million that was uh, given to missions through our office in that year alone, do you realize that comes to less than $5 per week per person saved? I want you to think about that. You see, I, I'm in churches all the time and sometimes someone will say, well, I, don't, I can't give much. There's not much I can do. But I want to tell you, God can do miraculous things when we're faithful with whatever the amount is. And I just want to, from the Baptist Bible Fellowship International, from the mission office, I want to say thank you for your heart for missions. Thank you for investing in missionaries. Thank you for uh, reaching out to our world that is in desperate need of Jesus Christ. And when I come, come, come to, together with a church like this, and I read through these uh, numbers, and I think through this video, I, I'm always encouraged, and I'm always challenged to, how can I do more? How can I do more? How can I get more involved? How can I do more things? What does God want from me? And then I turn to scripture, and I, and I look through stories like the one we're going to talk about this morning, and it's really amazing that what God asks from us is faithfulness. And a commitment to make sure people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want to turn over to, to Acts chapter 8, there's two things as we get started this morning that I really would like to, to do to kind of set the stage for the story that we're going to talk through. Now, this message is going to be very simple. It's going to be very, uh, very, we're just going to walk through a story, really. And as we walk through the story, I want to make some observations uh, along the way. But there's a couple things I want to do to kind of set the stage, okay? First, as we go through this story and we think about missions, and we think about not just missions, but the, the need for us to be involved in reaching people locally, right? Uh, for you not to just come and, and give to missions and, and not go out and share Christ with those around you, right? We're going to see it all encapsulated in this story that we talk about this morning. But as we talk through this, I want you to understand, first of all, that these are real people, okay? These are real people living real lives with real relationships, You know, sometimes I think it's easy for us to go to Scripture and and read stories and think of these individuals, these people, as characters in a story, right? It's easy for us to look at this and think about the decisions that were made, sometimes without thinking about the emotional side of what it would have taken to do the things that these people did in Scripture. And this morning, what I want you to do as we go through the process of Acts chapter 8, and we even talk a little bit about Acts chapter 7, I want you to understand that these are real people just like you and me. These are not stories or or characters from a movie. These are not stories or or fictional characters from a book. These are real-life people with real-life relationships, with real-life emotions, with real-life commitment uh, to Christ, but also real-life struggles, right? They're just like you and me. But we see them set apart in here because of their faithfulness, because of their desire to serve Christ, because of their desire to make Jesus known among the nations, right? And it's important as we go into this that we think through that. So here's what I want you to do. As we go through this story this morning, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the people that we talk about this morning. I want you to to try to think okay, if that would have been me in that moment, what would my response have been? If that would have been me walking through this story, how would I have responded? What would I have thought? How would that have impacted my family? Because when we think about it on that level, it really brings another level of seriousness to the things that we talk about when we look at Scripture. The second thing that I want to do is I kind of want to walk you through just a little bit of how we got to the point that we got to in Acts chapter 8, okay? So just give you a little bit of background here, and then we're going to dig in on Acts chapter 8. We're going to read some verses at the top of the chapter and then down towards the bottom of the chapter because I'll I tell you, this is one of the most challenging stories in scripture for me on a number of different levels okay and we're going to talk through uh all of this right so and we don't have a lot of time so i'll talk fast you guys listen fast and we'll be in good shape okay but when i go back to the the beginning of book of acts right we see the this is the story of the early church right we go back to acts chapter one we know that the holy spirit uh enters the equation and we see the incredible things uh that happened throughout the beginning parts of acts chapter uh, one through three and four and you get on down here to acts chapter seven. And while God was doing incredible things through his uh, faithful, obedient servants, right, who were taking Christ out there to people, right, and preaching Christ to people, there was also some opposition that was rising, okay? There was some opposition that ended up turning into what? Persecution. And we see that, really, there was some terrible persecution that took place in these early days of the church, okay? And we see one of those stories in Acts chapter 7, right? And so in Acts chapter 7, we see... Uh, Acts chapter 6, we're introduced to these seven guys who were set apart. One of those guys was Philip, who we're going to come back to in Acts chapter 8. Um, but in Acts chapter 7, we see this guy named Stephen. And I love it because when you go back to Acts chapter uh, uh, 6 and Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 6, verse 8, it says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Can you imagine being described this way in Scripture? Remember, this is a real guy that deals with sin issues like we do, the the struggles, right? The challenges that you and I face. This was a real man. But here was the description that was given of of Stephen here in Acts chapter 6, 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible that, that in Scripture that would be the description of him? But we see that just because he was full of faith and power, not everything worked out the way that maybe he would have hoped, right? You go to Acts chapter 7, and you read through these and, uh, these verses. And we're not going to read the entire chapter. I'm just going to let you know, uh, kind of walk through the story and tell you what it says. I want to encourage you, though, go back and read these stories. Go back and read what Stephen did in Acts chapter 7, because he's arrested. And he's brought before the council to give an account for his uh, him preaching Christ, right? And what does he do? So this, this man is arrested, pulled into this assembly, where he is having to, to talk to them about why He is preaching Christ, and they're telling him to stop doing that, right? But you get through the the entirety of of Acts chapter 7, and he stands there with boldness and proclaims Jesus. He recounts the history of Israel, and he brings them all the way through to the Messiah, and he identifies that Messiah as Jesus Christ, and he points people in that council back to Jesus. But here here was the problem, okay? The council didn't want to hear it. The council wanted nothing to do with that. So what did they do? Here at the end of Acts chapter 7, we see that he was taken out in verse 54, uh, in 55, through, down through verse 60, and he was taken out and stoned and killed. I mean, this man of great uh, faith and power that came through the Holy Spirit was faithfully preaching, and he was taken out and killed. Now, this man was a leader in the church, right? And these people knew each other. Okay? You go back and you read through these verses, and you see that there were connections here. And can you imagine what it would have been like to have known Stephen because he was part of the church at Jerusalem, and so were you? And you see him being arrested because of his faith in Jesus, because he was preaching Christ, and he's arrested, brought before the council, and then you see and you hear about him being stoned to death and killed. Can you imagine, just as a member of that church, let's just say, can you imagine what would have been going through your mind at that moment? I mean, can you imagine the fear that could have come in to your mind and into your heart? And then what happens? You, your mind probably then goes to, well, what about this person and what about that person? I wonder if they're okay. Like, I, I wonder what, what's going on with other people because I see what's happening to Stephen. And, and we love Stephen. We care for him. We have real relationships. There's real friendships. There's real connections here. Can you imagine that? But here's what happens. We see that at the end of Acts chapter 7, uh, that yes, Stephen is martyred, and there was a guy there that we're introduced to named Saul who was there holding the, the coats of the ones that were throwing the stones, right? And we understand that Saul would later become Paul, but at this point in history, right, this point in the story, in the, in the real-life story, Saul was a really bad guy. Can we just say that? There may be a hundred other ways to say it, but he was a bad guy, right? Uh, if you're an Avengers-type type person he's like Thanos trying to kill people right okay that's that's the kind of gist that you get here okay and we're going to see that as we read here in the beginning of Acts chapter uh, 8 but here's the thing is as we go through this again I just want to push you and I want to encourage you to put yourself in the shoes of these people real life struggles real life challenges a real love and desire to serve Jesus and to make his name known and they face some terrible things. Let's go on. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. And just so you know, we're going to read through some verses, and I'm going to stop periodically, probably a lot, and just make some observations as we go through this, okay? So we're going to start right here, okay? And now Saul was consenting to his death. You know, I'd always heard that Saul was just a young man who was there holding the coats for the people so they could throw the stones, right? But there's a big shift between that type of person and the person who was the one that was in charge of going to Stephen and telling everybody, okay, guys, you're done, he's dead. We see that in this statement, we see that Saul has some measure of authority here, right? He has some measure of authority as the person who's able to go and identify this person who was the target of the, of the council, right, to kill, and he tells everybody, okay, guys, he's dead, we're good, you guys can go home. Uh, we have accomplished our mission of killing this Christ follower, Right? So Saul goes, and he consents into his death. And we go on and read it, and it says, And at that time, great persecution rose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Verse 3, As for Saul, what does it say? He made havoc. Saul was ravaging the church. And entered house after house. He dragged off men and women, committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered abroad, what did they do? They went everywhere preaching the word. Let's just kind of set the stage here for this. And I want to make sure we're clear on, on the process of what's happening here. Stephen is accused of blasphemy. Stephen preaches Christ. And what happens? He's killed. Saul says, okay, guys. Uh, He's dead. We've accomplished our mission. He's done. And then that sends Saul out house to house. I mean, think about this. He was going house to house, grabbing men and women and throwing them in the prison, so much so that in some translations it says he made havoc of the church, right? I want you to think about the process of that. People were so afraid for their lives that what happened? It says they were scattered throughout the entire region, Right? They went to Judea. They went to Samaria. right? And we see this terminology, Judea, uh, Samaria. We see that in other places of mission verses that we see in Scripture, that we're to take the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the world. But we see this process playing out here. But the catalyst for that in this situation was what? It was persecution. And it was a bad time to be alive. Do you realize that had you been alive in that moment, if, like if this was historically set, like today, like if we were back then, your name would probably be on Saul's list. I mean, I want you to think about the process of that and how scary and how frightening that must have been. Can you imagine leaving your home out of fear of persecution, only to go to other regions uh, that were not, you know, in the, a little ways away, right? Where maybe you didn't have family members, where maybe you didn't have the connections that you had back at your home in Jerusalem. Well, that was the situation that was going on here. It was not a good situation, is what I'm trying to say. And it was so bad that these people left. But there's something that's really cool that takes place, okay? And I love this. Are you ready for this? What does it say? They were scattered abroad. We see that statement comes on the hill of great persecution in the church. And they went everywhere, scared to let everyone know that they were believers. And they went everywhere and tried to hide the fact that they were part of the church of Jerusalem. And they went everywhere making sure no one knew that they were a Christ follower because this guy named Saul was going out trying to to arrest Christ followers and throw them in prison. Is that what it says? No, that's not what it says at all. It says they went everywhere preaching the word. When I think through missions and I think through our responsibility as believers to take the gospel to the nations, you realize it starts at home. And these people, in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of their friend being stoned to death, in the midst of them being taken out of their homes and thrown in prison, and back then prisons weren't like some prisons are today, right? I'm not saying prison is great today, right? But it was a different animal back then, right? These people did not let the fear of persecution keep them from telling people about Jesus Christ. And so today as we walk through these verses, one of my first challenges for you is this. Do you go everywhere you go preaching the word? Do the people in your circles, do the people in your community know that you are a Christ follower? Do they know that you're a believer? Do you verbally, with words, tell people about Christ? I hear this thing all the time. Uh, preach Christ with your life, right? Uh, because, you know, but if necessary, use words. Well, here's the thing. you got to use words. You've you got to use words. They can see great actions, and they can see godly actions and godly behavior, but we've got to attach words to that so people know who Jesus is, and they know who made a difference in our lives. And these believers understood that, and they knew that, and they went everywhere they went preaching the word. As We think through the process of this, regardless of what's going on in your life, regardless of what situations you face, regardless of, of challenges that you face, regardless of anything that's going on in your life, you must, as a Christ follower, go everywhere you go telling people about Jesus Christ. That is our responsibility as believers. We see it right here, and it's really incredible to, to kind of think through the process of that. Then we go on down. Let's, let's just go back and read uh, verse four and five, and we're going to read a, a few more verses through here. It says, therefore, those who were scattered abroad, or scattered, went everywhere doing what? Preaching the word, right? Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them, right? So this guy that was part of these seven seven people that were introduced to as faithful men in the church, right? Leaders in the church. We see that in, the, in there in Acts chapter six. Uh, he, we kind of circle back around to this guy, okay? And we know that he wasn't an apostle, right? Uh, The apostle stayed in Jerusalem. He was among this group of believers that went everywhere preaching the word. But where did he go? He went to Samaria, right? Have you ever heard any any challenges or issues that people from Jerusalem and the Jews had with the people of Samaria? I mean, there were a lot of, of challenges there. There were racial issues. There were a lot of different challenges right? that go into this. Matter of fact, you go back to John chapter 4, and you see the woman at the well, and what happens? John comes into Sam- or Jesus comes into Samaria, sits down at the well, and the Samaritan lady is right there. And what does, he, what does she say to him? Hey, you're a Jew. Who are you that you would have anything to do with me, right? It just kind of sets up this idea that there are a lot of challenges between the Jews and the people that were living in Samaria, right? But what does Philip do? He takes this message to a cross-cultural location where there were challenges, where there were issues, where normally people wouldn't go, but he didn't let that stop him from taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to these people. Because after all, every person alive is loved by God. And I see that, and I think through the process of this verse, and I think through uh, Philip taking the gospel from Jerusalem, uh, being uh, part of that group that left Jerusalem because of the persecution, and he goes to Samaria, right, right? And when he gets there, he preaches the word. And let me tell you something. When when the gospel is preached and the gospel is proclaimed, things change, right? When Jesus enters the equation, things change. And we're going to see that in an incredible way right here in Samaria. So what does it say? Verse 6, And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. And what does it say? For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed, were lame, were healed. And then verse 8, and there was great joy in that church in Samaria. There was great joy among the few believers that there might have been. Is that what it says? No, you know, sometimes it's fun to to think about what the Bible doesn't say, instead of necessarily reading what it does, and then coming back and saying, okay, let's compare and contrast this right here, because it doesn't say that there was great joy in what? In the church. It says there was great joy in that city. I I want you to think about this. One person, faithfully proclaiming Jesus Christ to a wicked and pagan area, and great joy followed because they gave heed. They listened to what he said, and they trusted Christ, And when Christ comes in, what happens? Joy follows, right? You go back to Galatians 5, and we see the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering. That's what happens when Jesus moves in. And they see this in a very real way right here in Samaria. And you know why they saw it? Because one person was willing to leave where he was living, go to another location, preach Christ, And people get saved, and joy follows in the entire city. And I think about that, and I think about these people. Can you imagine being in the city of Samaria when this random dude named Philip comes in, and he starts preaching about Jesus Christ? Now, may may there have been rumors about Jesus? May the people know about Jesus? Probably so, but here's the thing. Philip comes in, and it says, with multitudes, in great multitudes, people turn to Christ, And it brought great joy to the city. But here's another kind of side note to you here. Um, People in Samaria knew about the persecution that was going on in Jerusalem. I mean, these are people that are hearing about Jesus, right? They know what's going on because rumor is beginning to spread about the great persecution and the roundup of believers in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. And in spite of all of that, these people that don't know Jesus hear about Jesus, the Holy Spirit works, and what happens? in spite of all of that that's going on, they put their faith in Jesus, and joy comes in. Isn't that a cool testimony to what God was doing here through the life of Philip? You know, it's amazing what God can do through the, the faithfulness of one individual person. You know, when I think about all the numbers that we shared a few minutes ago, uh, the over 1.2 million people that have been saved in the last uh, 10 years, and I think about the 135,000 and Uh, 110 people that were saved in 2021. All of those represent one person, right? Every one of those numbers. But every one of those one individual people, there was one person that was willing to give their life to make sure that one person could hear the gospel. And isn't that a great testimony? See, it's not always about the great numbers. And we hear the great multitudes, but the great multitudes came to faith in Christ because one person... Settled in their mind that they were going to do what God had asked them to do. And the challenge for you today is for you to be that one person. Be that one person. What would happen in your life if every person you came in contact with on a daily basis, you looked at them and you viewed them as if God personally placed that person in your life so you could make a gospel impact in their life? Can you imagine the conversations you could have? Can you imagine what that could look like for you in your life? And I go through here, and I think about these verses, um, and there was great joy in the city. And isn't that the goal? Because I tell you what, all of our cities around America, I don't know about you, Springfield, Missouri needs great joy. Springfield, Missouri, in the Bible Belt of America, they need Jesus. Huntington Beach, California needs great joy. And the great joy that is needed in Huntington Beach is not found in money, and it's not found in anything but jesus and the thing is today it's up to you and it's up to me to be the one person that will go out here and share christ with people are you doing that are you invested in that but here's the thing something happens in this story so we'll just say all of that is introduction for just a minute okay and we're going to go to the end of the story now there's some really crazy things that happen here in the middle of these chapters, right, in the middle of chapter 7. But let's go down to verse number 26. You see all of that backdrop, all of that history, all of the revival that's breaking out in Samaria and people coming to know Christ, and we see everything that's happening right there, right? But things change in verse 26, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? If we're really just being honest, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It says in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goeth down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he arose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he, uh, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Okay, hold on. Time out. Time out for just, <laughs> just a minute. Hadn't Philip done enough? I mean, let's just be honest. He was in Jerusalem. He was a leader in the church. He was a trusted person in the church. He sees Stephen Stone. He he hears about this. His friend who he has a relationship with because of their connections through Christ. Can you imagine the grieving process of that? And then the, the... Great persecution comes and, and it forces him to leave, and he goes to Samaria, a place that he probably wasn't really wanted, but he preaches Christ, and great joy comes to the city because of the revival. And, and I'm recounting all this because I want you to understand in America, when things are good, you don't leave. Right? Hey, wait a second. Lord, uh, we don't really know a whole lot about Philip's family. We don't really, the Bible doesn't key us into any of that, but can you imagine? Wait a second, God. Um, Do you understand the process of this? I know it's you that did the work, but you used me. And look at what's going on in Samaria because of my faithfulness, right? I mean, you're asking me to to drop it all. You're asking me to leave it all where I have maybe some security because of the great joy that's in this city, because all these people are Christ followers. You're you're asking me to walk away from all of this? I want you to think about that. And what does he say? He doesn't just say, I want you to go. He he says, I want you to go down to this road. And oh, by the way, it's in the middle of the desert, right? There ain't a Target in the middle of the desert. There's not a Walmart in the middle of the desert. Not a Taco Bell. There's not Dr. Pepper. There's not sweet. I'm, I'm from the South, right? So there's not sweet tea, right? In the desert. It's a desert. And oh, by the way, this stretch of the desert, what is it? This is where bandits frequently overtake the people that are traveling down this road so they can rob them. And this is where you want me to go, Lord? Are you sure you got that right? Are you sure that's what you want? And I love it because those are the things that sometimes I think that come into the minds of people when it comes to, to following through on the things that God wants them to do. We find every reason why we shouldn't go, and then we can even spiritualize it sometimes to make us sound and feel even more spiritual. But the, the truth is, the Spirit of the Lord came in and said, Philip, I need you to go. And what does it say? Does it say he, he went in and, and he had these massive going-away parties that lasted three months? That it say that he went to every leader individually, and, and he went to do all of these things um, to say bye to everybody before he went? No. It says he arose and went. And the crazy thing to me when I read this, and the incredible thing is, God didn't even tell him why he was going. God didn't even say, hey, when you get there, the situation is going to be this, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do this. No, this was a man who was just faithful to do what God called him to do. And at the end of the day, that's the call for all of us. That's the call for each and every person in this room. Are you willing to do everything that God asks you to do when he asks you to do it? Because let's face it, when we see the totality of Scripture and we see the, the command to go into all nations and take the gospel to all creatures around our world, to all people in every nation, tribe, and tongue, uh, that, that's, a, that's a command that we are all to get behind and we are to all be involved with. we got to take the gospel locally. we got to find the people in our communities, not just in our circle of influence. we got to find people that don't know Christ. we got to find people in our, in our world that, that they don't know who Jesus is. we got to take the gospel to them. But then some people, God's going to tap on the shoulder and say, hey, you're up. And I want you to know this morning, when God does that to you or he does that to your kids, that is a massive honor to be called by God to go to another location, to take the gospel to someone that needs it. Now think about these verses. Let's just continue uh, here and just look at at some more of this, right? Um, It says, so he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch, what what was it? This guy was going down in his chariot, right? Down this highway, 70 miles an hour, right? Or 120 if you're in L.A., you know, right? Um, But here's the thing, the Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit do? He says, hey, I want you to go and I want you to join yourself to this this chariot. I want you to go join yourself to that chariot. What does that mean? Okay, I want you to go out here, I want you to wave this guy down. I want you, I know you don't know him, and I know that people expect bandits out here. But, but once you get to the desert place, I'm going to tell you what's next. And, and what's next is I want you to go and join yourself to this chariot. And what happens? Philip does it. I mean, can you imagine what would be going through your mind if the Spirit of God told you to do that? Like jump out here on, on any highway in the millions of highways that are around here, right? And just flag somebody down and say, hey, go talk to that guy. But he does it. And what happens? I'll just read a few more verses here. Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake. I love that. New King James, overtake this chariot, right? Like we're taking it by force, right? That's not what happened, right? But he went and he got in, right? So Philip ran to him. Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And I read this verse and I think, I wonder how many people in our world are waiting for someone to ask them that question. How many people in our world today are waiting for believers just like you, just like me, just like Philip, to come alongside and say, hey, do you know who Jesus is? Do you understand what Scripture says? Do you understand the implications of that in your life? And I think about Philip in a cross-cultural context saying that. He says, do you understand? And then what does he say? How can I unless someone guide me? That's the call. That's the call of evangelism, and that's the call of taking the gospel around the world through the process of what we call world missions. We go because people need a Savior. We go because people have a sin problem and a death problem, and we go because the only answer to that problem is Jesus Christ. And the question for you today as I wrap up is this. Are you taking the gospel everywhere you go? And are you willing to get more involved in helping more people go to places that you can't go so they can hear about Jesus Christ? If you are, can you imagine what's going to happen in the next 10 years through your faithfulness? And if you're not, I would challenge you to sit back and say, God, work in my heart. Give me faith to trust you to do what you've asked me to do. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Christ. That's what it's all about. This morning, you can do that by crying out to God and saying, God, forgive me for my sins because I'm a sinner. And it's only through Jesus that I can gain salvation. Let me pray for us.